Before we get started, I've got a new online course hitting the Business Made Simple platform. If you're not familiar with the platform, businessmadesimple.com will show you all of our business courses. Better than business school is what we aim to be. In fact, you probably paid $50,000, $75,000, however much you paid for a business education, and then you got into the business world and didn't know how to grow a business. That is called a bad investment. There's some business knowledge for you. We will teach you how to create mission statement and guiding principles, teach you to clarify your message, teach you to create a marketing sales funnel. We will teach you to create great proposals that really work. On and on and on, the courses that we keep adding to this platform are awesome. And you don't have to pay any more money when a new course hits. Just go to businessmadesimple.com and sign up because my new course is called Hero on a Mission. It is a life planning and day planner course. It comes with a life plan and day planner, the pages for a day planner. You just print them out, three-hole punch them, put them into a binder, and you've got an infinite number of pages that you can use for the rest of your life to stay on mission. Check out my new course, Hero on a Mission, at businessmadesimple.com today. Welcome to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. I'm your host, Donald Miller. Later, I'll be joined by my co-host, Dr. J.J. Peterson. But for now, I want to make one announcement, and it's this. The podcast is changing names. We will no longer be called the Building a Story Brand podcast. Come January 1, it will be the Business Made Simple podcast. I have a book coming out January 19th called Business Made Simple. And this really doesn't just change the podcast, it changes our overall company. StoryBrand will still exist, but if you want to think of where the company is going, it's going toward Business Made Simple University. That's our online platform. And then StoryBrand is the marketing department. Imagine a little building on the campus of a university. StoryBrand will be the marketing building, and then we have Marketing Made Simple in the marketing building. We have execution and management made simple, leadership made simple, negotiation made simple, all those different buildings on the campus of university. It's probably the best visual to understand where this company is going. We are extremely excited about the future. We think, uh, you know, business schools just aren't really doing a good enough job preparing students to be value-driven professionals. That is, when they graduate from college, can they walk into a company and make that company money? We don't think business schools are very successful at that. We think we can be. We are not just professors. We're practitioners. So keep an ear open for the new name of the podcast, Business Made Simple. It'll still be me and JJ. We're also bringing on Kula Callahan and a bunch of other special guests. It's going to be a great show. Our aim is to be the number one business podcast in the world. And we're going to give it a try starting January 1. So keep an ear out for Business Made Simple. Today's interview is with Seth Godin. You know Seth. He's such a wonderful human being, one of the most humble wise, generous people I've ever met. And today he talks about something that to me is a little bit controversial. I just don't know if I can buy into the idea that everybody can become a creative. That's what his new book is about. It's called The Practice. He says, look, if you're not creative, you're going to be replaced by a robot. I mean, literally, there are just other entities that will replace you unless you can bring something human, unless you can iterate on ideas unless you can take your work and say, we need to create a new way of doing this, a better way of doing this. That's the only way to really differentiate yourself in the market. So it's an important book. But can anybody be creative? I'm sort of uh, amazed when I sit down with people and I think there's really nothing creative here. And maybe I've been judging them. Seth would say, I have. In fact, I, I poised the question to him directly. Here's my conversation with Seth Godin. 
Seth, thanks for coming on. Oh, it's such a pleasure to talk to you again. How you been? I've been super wonderful. I, I'm, ex- I'm excited about the topic of your new book, The Practice, because it's creativity. And I, gotta, I have to confess to you something, and you can talk me out of it. I have secretly wondered whether there are people who just simply are not creative. <laughs> I feel like I've worked with them. You would say, no, Don, it is a skill they can learn. But before we get there, why creativity? Why is it important that in this day and age as professionals, we are creative? Well, either you ship creative work or you don't. And if you don't ship creative work, it means you're a cog in the system. And being a cog in the system used to be really valuable. But now we can find a computer to do your job, or we can outsource your job, or we can find someone cheaper than you to do your job. And the alternative, which is actually super energizing, is that you ship creative work, whatever it is you do for a living. You solve interesting problems. Let's say that you've got somebody in there, they're in an administrative role for a department. I mean, I'm curious, what would your word to them be about their need to ship creative work? How would you apply that to you know, a worst case scenario example in that in that sense. Well, I'll give you two examples. One, uh, the administrator discovers that somebody is double booked and needs to be two places at the same time. And there's nothing in the manual about how in a COVID Zoom filled world to deal with that. Mm-hmm. And the creative solution involves expending emotional energy, digging deep into calendars and schedules, figuring out who can move one thing 10 minutes one way, one thing 20 minutes the other. That's creative work. It's something that might not work. You don't have a, a rule book but maybe you can get there. When I was at Yahoo, I would say that the receptionists added probably $500 million to a $1 billion worth to Yahoo's market cap. Wow. And they did it because when you walked into what was essentially a really boring straight-laced company, the reception area felt special. Hmm. The purple chairs, the way people were greeted, all of that interaction. So stock analysts and other people would come and have a different experience Because somebody, again, who was doing something creative that didn't have to be creative, brought humanity and solved an interesting problem. Gosh, I love I love that example. And as I as you say it, I think about some of the corporations that I've walked into who did not have that experience and those who did and how much better whatever it is I was doing business at headquarters. Yeah. Now, knowing we have to ship creative work if we want to differentiate ourselves in the marketplace, let's talk about some of the, the strategies and paradigm shifts you've encountered and teach to others about how to be creative, how to be more creative, how to be your best creative person. One of them is that you have an abundance mindset rather than a scarcity mindset. Can you explain? I've had an epiphany about that about five years ago, and it was life-changing for me. I'm curious about your epiphany worked. Well, I mean, so much of what we're talking about here is what you've been doing for so long, which is that it's all a story. It's all what we tell ourselves. And the fact is, if you are listening to this, you have access to more technology and more resources than the last king of France did. Mm -hmm. You have enormous amounts of leverage. You have a roof over your head. But if you decide to tell yourself the story that you are falling behind, that people are taking your peace, that you are under threat, you will act that way. On the other hand, someone with exactly the same resources as you might be telling themselves the opposite story, that there's room to share, that there's room to to teach, there's room to create connection. And what those people get in return is more. And we now live in this world where certain things are way more abundant than ever before, and others are truly scarce. And if we can lean into the things that are abundant, we can start to address the things that are truly scarce. I think some of our listeners may have something coming up that is similar to, to a meeting I have next week. And, and I want to put this in real application. The, the meeting I have next week is with a potential competitor who I may want to partner with, 
but I'm afraid going into the meeting because to explain and invite them into a partnership is to also reveal something they could do to compete with me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Seth, what do I, oh, oh, guru, what do I do about <laughs> this upcoming meeting? Well, I mean, how would you see that? Because I, I, I recognize that's a scarcity mindset on my part. I'm giving away some of my secrets in order to invite them into the process. They may say no and then just take my secrets. Uh, how, what, would you, what counsel would you give me and the other people who have similar meetings all the time like that? Well, I mean, here's the deal. The people who do what you and I do for a living model this all the time. We blurb each other's books. Here I am on your podcast when I run with Bernadette a workshop on story skills. Mm-hmm. I have a podcast and you have a podcast because guess what? Fewer people listening to your podcast will not lead to more people listening to my podcast. It's not that sort of zero-sum game. Our problem isn't piracy. Our problem isn't that your competitor is going to do something that's going to hurt you. Our problem is obscurity. On the face of this earth, 0.00001% of the people have done business with you. That's it. Yeah. Most of the people that we seek to serve aren't being served by anyone. And so the abundant mindset is, how many authors can I help create? How many books can I help get into the world? How many people can I teach to be teachers? Because if I can make more of that happen, I'm gonna end up with more students, not fewer. The best way to make sure no one ever steals your idea is to tell no one. (laughs) That's right. Well, that was my instinct going into it, but I was second guessing myself, and I think it'll be my instinct moving forward. You also say that uh, not just a scarcity mindset is going to keep us uh, back, but also not allowing ourselves to be on the hook, that we actually want to be on the hook if we're going to create good work. You say in the book, The Practice, the industrial system has trained us to avoid the hook. Being on the hook means that you can get blamed, and getting blamed means you can get fired for what you did or did not do. For some of us, though, on the hook is the best place to be. It's on you. It's on me. Our choice, our turn, our responsibility. This is our practice. I think uh, many, many people... You know what I did once, Seth? You'll love this. I've actually done it twice to two friends. Neither of them had ever written a book. They told me they wanted to write a book. I recognized in them that this book needed to be written. And so I put together a box... And I gift wrapped the box and they opened the box and in the box were 10 or 12 other gifts that they could only open when they hit certain markers in writing a book. Ah. And the final gift, which was the best gift, you can only open this gift when you are holding a published book in your hand with your name on the cover. One of those books spent many, many, many weeks on the New York Times bestsellers list, a, a book called Love Does by Bob Goff. Beautiful. It was my way of putting them on the hook, right? You, you've got to finish this if you ever want to open this gift. Well, the beauty of it, of course, is not about the gift. Bob could have bought his own gift. That's right. The beauty of it is someone saw him and someone believed in him. So there are two ways to think about on the hook. Most people in the United States, if you visualize on the hook, you're thinking of a fish. Yeah, yeah. And fish fish don't really do very well on the hook. <laughs> but it turns out in Turkey, there is a tradition, which is if you go to a traditional bakery and you have a couple extra pennies in your pocket, you can buy two loaves of bread instead of one. And you take the second loaf and you put it on the hook, which is on the wall. And if someone who's hungry comes into the bakery, that bread is theirs. Hmm. And having that generous thing on the hook where else would we rather be? So when you think about something like, uh, you know, you're on stage and I know you're getting back on an airplane soon and you finish your talk and you say any questions and no one raises their hand. 
But then later when you're rushing out for your plane, five people come up to ask you their <laughs> secret question. Right. They don't mean to be selfish, but if their question was good enough to ask you in private, it's probably good enough to ask in front of other people, but they don't. Because to ask the question is to put yourself on the hook. Generous work, creative work, leadership is all about saying, I made this for you. If we can shift our posture from the deniability of the industrial system and move it toward the abundant responsibility of our connection economy, we can't help but make things better. At the beginning of this podcast, I told you about my new course, Hero on a Mission at businessmadesimple.com, but let me tell you a little bit more. The Hero on a Mission life plan is based on Viktor Frankl's work. Viktor Frankl was alive at the same time of Sigmund Freud when Sigmund Freud was gaining popularity. Sigmund Freud went out and said, look, the greatest desire for man, what propels man forward, the driver of his or her personality is the pursuit of pleasure. It is so obvious. Everybody wakes up and starts looking for pleasure all day long. That is what drives them. This, of course, is what Sigmund Freud was saying. Viktor Frankl contended with the idea, what man wants more than anything, what drives man, is the desire for a deep sense of meaning, a fulfillment that their life exists for a reason, and that they are existing on purpose and they are living with a purpose. Well, Viktor Frankl gave us a very simple, pragmatic formula for how to do that. I started applying that formula 10 years ago at least in my life, and I'm telling you, there have been hard days, there have been sad days, there have been frustrating days, but there has not been a single day when I've woken up and not realized my life is meaningful. It just doesn't happen to me anymore. If you want to experience that meaning, go to businessmadesimple.com, grab my new course. Well, you get all the courses when you subscribe, but my new course is called Hero on a Mission. It will guide you through the creation of a life plan. It'll take you about four hours to complete the entire thing. And once you're done, you will begin to experience a life of meaning. It is ridiculously practical. Go to businessmadesimple.com and look for my new course, Hero on a Mission. You talk about the, uh, perhaps we've over-indexed the authentic voice. When we're actually creating material, we may have over-indexed on authenticity and not consistency. Can you give us some wisdom and, and how is consistency, what does consistency look like first of all, and then how is it different and better than authenticity? So authenticity is a trap. It's a trap for two reasons. Sometimes people say whatever pops into their head, and if it doesn't work, they say, well, don't blame me. I was just being authentic. Right. Um, but the second thing is, as you pointed out, we get into this endless swirl because there's no such thing as our authentic self. The last time you were authentic was when you were two years old and screaming as a toddler, and everything since then has been calculated. If I say this, will it work? If I offer this, will it be received? If I bring this forward, will it have a response? We think about this all the time. When you consider going out for Starbucks, when you consider having heart surgery, when you go to see uh, a Hootie and the Blowfish concert, you don't want the authentic version of any of those things. You want the best version. You want the consistent version. You want the version they would be delivering if they were doing their very best version of themselves. That's what we pay for. That's what we hire. That's why you go learn how to tell story so that you can consistently show up and move people in a way that they're glad you did. There are a couple people who make a living being authentic on Twitter, but for the rest of us, what you get to do is make a promise and keep it. I remember early, early in my career, 20 years ago, speaking and people would say, you know, hey, can you talk about this or that? And, and I thought, you know, I can, 
but I've got to talk and I know that people laugh at it and I know that people think, and if I do your talk, I'm afraid I won't come off very well. And I struggled with that question because I thought to myself, but am I being authentic? Like, shouldn't there be a new talk for every audience? That's, that's an amateur if there ever was an amateur. James uh, Taylor does fire and rain no matter where he's at or who he's talking to because it's what the audience wants. That, that's a great permission. I'm also curious, you say in the book, assertions are the foundation of the design and creation process and that we should make assertions. In that context, what do you mean by assertions and how can they help us in our creative process? So engineers who don't get nearly enough credit, I mean, planes don't fall from the sky, Mm -hmm. bridges don't fall down, nails do what they're supposed to do. They make assertions. They say, if I use copper in this setting, electricity will be transferred at this speed. I assert that this is true. You can test it, right? And if they're going to lead They make assertions that haven't been tested yet. That's what science is, a series of assertions that you then test. On the other hand, if you're a compliant cog in the system, you just wait for the rule book. What it means to make an ad that works or to give a speech that resonates with people or to design a new kind of circuit is just to, before you do it, announce your belief. I believe that if I do this, that will happen. Hmm. And if you don't have the ability to do that, then you're an amateur. But professionals do it on time. James Taylor says, well, if I move this song to the encore, I assert the audience will be happier at the end of the concert. That's an assertion. And we're afraid to make assertions because you heard it. We don't want to be on the hook. Yeah, we don't want to be the hook. And we don't know that we have permission to lead people. I actually was teaching a class about 250 business leaders. And I said to them, hey, I want to, I want to tell you some of the best business advice you're ever going to hear but I'm going to tell you on the curb outside of this building. And I just walked out of the room and everybody went out with me. 250 people slowly realized that this was happening. Right. And they confusedly walked out the door. I had my staff put a little box out there on the curb, literally downtown Nashville, Tennessee, right across from the Ryman Auditorium. I had them leave me a bullhorn there. Stood up on the box. I got the bullhorn. I said, okay, this is some of the best leadership advice you're ever going to hear. People will go where you tell them to go. Now let's go back inside. (laughs) And we all went back inside. You know why I did that? I did that because I got tired of sitting in front of a blinking cursor writing a book, wondering where the reader wanted me to take them rather than where I wanted to take them. And I just had to start believing they will go where I want them to go. The thing is that it worked because you had enrollment from the audience. There was trust. If there isn't enrollment, if they don't want to go somewhere, Where you want them to go is irrelevant. And so you had two things in place at the same time. One, you had a whole bunch of people who wanted to go where they knew you were going. And two, they trusted you. But enrollment is the key to the whole thing because you cannot tell a story to everyone. You cannot change everyone. You can change someone if they're the smallest viable audience. That group of people who are going where you want to go. My cousin is really into some of the most horrible Worst music I have ever heard. <laughs> and these groups play very low bass notes on their guitar and their bass. So loud you can feel it in your bones. That's the entire concert. It's two hours of this. Wow. You're not wearing hearing protection, then you will go deaf. This is a, a, a thing. So they, right? they wear hearing protection to these concerts? Oh, yeah. You have to. <laughs> Everyone in the audience is wearing significant, because you're there to feel it in your bones, oh, right? It. Okay. 
you can't get me to go to that concert. And if I accidentally was at that concert, I would leave instantly, no matter what you told me, because I'm not enrolled in that journey. Right. We forget to sell people on the ultimate goal. We forget to sell people on where we're going. If they buy that, now you have permission. Any other tips? I mean, you talk about this in tribes a little bit. How do you increase enrollment? I mean, you, you talk about selling the person on the, is it just clearly articulating a vision of what your life will look like if we go here together? So what is culture? Culture is a simple seven word sentence. People like us do things like this. That's all it is. It is not hardwired into any of us. If we were born in a different country, we'd have a different culture. People like us do things like this. Who gets to say what the things like this are? Well, it's not the marketer or the small business or the person in charge. It is the other people, the people like us who announce to their neighbors, to their friends, to their peers, to their colleagues, this is what we do. We find the smallest viable audience. It might only be 10 people, 1,000 people. We teach them what we know. And then we create an environment where they get what they want by telling others. What I've heard about your workshop and the people who come back and the people who come back and the people who come back, they're, they're not, you're not getting more and more people because you're calling people on the phone. You're getting people because your graduates are saying to their coworkers, you need to go because it would make my life better if you learned <laughs> this too. I love it. All right. Two more tips here. One is to seek out constraints. Constraints sound like the enemy of any creative process, but you like them. You say art solves problems in a novel way and problems always have constraints. Can you define constraints and how it can help us be creative? What makes something a problem in, in the answer is it hasn't been solved yet. And the reason it hasn't been solved yet is because the boundaries, the constraints sometimes conflict. There are trade-offs. There are things you, you can't have everything. Anytime you can have everything, there's no problem. And so creativity isn't needed because you can have everything. As soon as there is any constraint whatsoever, now you can find a way to find an interesting solution. The point I'm making is don't run away from the constraints. Identify them, label them, celebrate them, give them a big hug, and then figure out how to dance with them because that's why you're here. If there weren't constraints, there wouldn't be a problem. All right. And finally, we have to earn our skills. And you say in the book, The Practice, it turns out that it's not training hours or DNA that changes outcomes. It's our belief in possibility and the support of the culture around us. Attitudes, of course, are skills, which is good news for all of us, because it means that if we care enough, we can learn. How do we earn our skills? We would like to hire for attitude. We'd like to marry for attitude. We'd like to hang out with people for attitude. We're looking for people who are honest and hardworking and passionate and see possibility and optimistic and all of those things. But you've done each of those things at least a little. So what would it mean to do it more? What it would mean to do it more is to put the work in and to learn how to do it more. That for a long time before you came along, people said, well, yeah, story, that's a human function. You just know how to do it or you don't. No, telling good stories is in fact a skill. And the way we learn a skill like a, riding a bicycle. It's not through education where you're doing it for a grade. We learn it by failing. That's how you learned how to ride a bike. You fell and you fell and you fell. And that's how you learn how to juggle and how do you learn how to speak in public and anything else. You show up, you try it, you see what works, and then you do it more. We can change our attitudes. And changing our attitudes, rewiring them, that's a skill and it's available to anyone, which makes me really happy because it means you're not stuck with what you think you're stuck with. Seth, every time I spend a little time with you, 
a little bit of weight is taken off my professional shoulders. I feel I feel lighter. The book is called The Practice Shipping Creative Work. Of course, my guest is Seth Godin. You can find that book on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever you buy books. You want to pick it up today. Seth, thanks for spending a little time with us. Well, thank you, sir. And uh, good luck getting back on the airplane. <laughs> Stay safe. Stay safe yourself. All right. God bless, sir. Really good stuff. Always good stuff. Every yeah. time. Every time. Tell me, what do you do? You have a creative job. You create content. You're on the content team with me and Kula. And we have to create, at this point, thousands of pages a year yes. of content. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say hundreds, but no. I'm looking. I'm literally looking across the room at the last stack of <laughs> stuff you've created. Yeah. What helps you be more creative? What frees you to be more creative? Practical tips. That actually for me, like so going and writing yeah. pre-COVID in a coffee shop right. or even just on my back porch. So if I normally am working at my dining table during the week, if I'm going to actually write, then I like to go outside. I like to go to a coffee shop. Change your physical location. Physical location. In fact, this summer when I had a big project that was due, I went to Oregon. I went yeah, to the Oregon yeah, coast yeah. just to look out over the water, changed my environment. And, and there's actually a lot of research on the idea that when you are in a familiar environment, you actually make familiar choices. A lot of times when you do, say, a team retreat, like you're going to do a team building or like create something new as a team, you actually want to get out of your office environment and go somewhere else Yeah, because familiar situations breed familiar choices. I, I agree. And I, I'm heading to Portland to get some riding done here pretty yeah. soon. And it's literally just to spend four days there yep. in a hotel and get this stuff done. Sometimes you have to reject the first, second, third idea. Yeah. Because it's the fourth idea that nobody's ever thought of. Yep. And to me, that's the that's the key to being creative is, are you thinking of something that at least you don't think anybody else has ever thought of? Yeah, yeah. You know, he, he's right. We have to figure out how to be more creative if we want to differentiate ourselves personally as professionals in the marketplace. And uh, I'm just so thankful for his encouragement to do so. Once again, the book is called The Practice. You can find it on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Another great book by Seth Godin. Music from this episode is by Andrew Bell. You can listen to Andrew's latest record, Dive Deep Hust, on Spotify or on iTunes. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. 